eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED lights, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number 55. Yes, it's all relationship based. I mean, you can spend a lot of money and you can get a lot of business, but I think that there's a law of diminishing returns when it comes to that. We just don't see a lot of results from it. It's the pounding the pavement and the elbow grease of it all, of just getting out and, you know, pressing flesh is what my dad talks about. Welcome to a real-world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. How's it going, everybody? I am Jay Scott. I am your co-host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast here again this week with my lovely wife and co-host, Mrs. Carol Scott. How's it going today, Carol? doing really well. So seriously, crazy, fun, and exciting times, despite what's going on in the world around us. Or I guess when you think about it, it's almost because of what's going on in the world around us. So if any of you follow Jay on social media, you might know that we just put a small business under a contract to purchase. And uh, Nigel Geisinger, our amazing, like seriously, absolutely awesome guest from episode 51 a few weeks back, has inspired lots of people just like us to do the same thing. In that episode, he talks all about looking around your community to find other small businesses that might be struggling. And this might be a really good time to say, Save those small businesses by getting creative with a purchase. So if you haven't already listened to Nigel's episode, just go and listen. It was one of our best ever. You're really going to love it. So a really interesting thing about this small business that we're purchasing is that in our geographic area alone, there are hundreds, and I mean literally hundreds, of nearly identical businesses right around us. So one of our biggest challenges is going to be really figuring out what in the world are we going to do? to differentiate ourselves from the competition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Nigel talked all about buying these small businesses. Uh, Great opportunity. Um, But we didn't really talk about how you take those small businesses and you really grow and expand them. And so today's guest, his name is Ryan Welch. He is the uh, founder and operator owner of Breezy Moving. Um, And let me tell you something, Breezy Moving or moving companies in general are kind of the epitome of what we refer to as commodity businesses. Those businesses where kind of anybody can jump into the space. All it takes for a moving company, you need a couple people, you need a truck, and suddenly you have a moving company. And it can be really hard for a business like that to differentiate itself from all of its competition. And we're in the process of buying a business, not a moving business, but another business that's highly commoditized, one that there's a lot of competition, it's hard to differentiate yourself. And on this episode, Ryan walks us through the strategies that he's used to really scale and grow and expand his moving company and kind of get a leg up over his competition. Now, a lot of people think, yeah, sure, you can spend a ton of money, you can put money into advertising, you put money into marketing to do that. But Ryan has done it in a better way. He's done it in a way that has required essentially zero dollars out of his pocket to grow and expand his business. And the key for him has been personal relationships and building and leveraging those relationships to get word of mouth business, expand his business. Basically, um, he he has 
a great personal relationship, not with just with his customers, but with his customers' customers. And he'll talk all about how that works. But this episode is fantastic for anybody out there that is looking to grow a business where you have a lot of competition and you don't want to spend a whole lot of money on marketing. You don't want to spend a whole lot of money on advertising, but you still want to be able to take your business and grow it despite all the competition you might have. Awesome episode with Ryan here. I learned a ton that I know Carol and I are going to use to really kind of supercharge the business that we're in the process of buying. And I hope if you have a similar business, you can do the same. If you want to learn anything more about Ryan, about Breezy Moving, or about anything else we talk about on this episode, please check out our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash bizshow55. Again, that's biggerpockets.com slash bizshow55. Now, before we jump into our discussion with Ryan, let's hear a quick word from our awesome sponsor. I want to take a minute to tell you about our sponsor, Pat Live. Did you know that 76% of customers hang up if they don't reach a live person? And 85% of customers won't call back after an unanswered call. If you're a real estate investor or if you're in any kind of service business, your livelihood depends on being able to answer every call that comes in. Pat Live offers 24-7 live answering services so you can spend less time following up and more time growing your business. And unlike many other live answering services, they're open 365 days per year. Their friendly and professional agents are all located in the U.S. and provide all the benefits of a personal receptionist at a fraction of the cost. They offer fully customizable scripts and they can collect leads, schedule appointments, and process orders. With Pat Live's virtual receptionists, you can turn more callers into customers. And now, for a limited time only, Pat Live is offering Bigger Pockets business listeners 15% off their regular rates. This offer is only available over the phone, so give them a call now at 866-712-1879 and mention this podcast or visit patlive.com. Make every call count with Pat Live. Thanks so much to our sponsor. Okay, now, without any further ado, let's jump into our discussion with Ryan Welch from Breezy Moving. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Hey, how's it going, Ryan? I think it's going well so far. (laughs) Excellent. How how are you guys today? We are, we're hanging in there. We're hanging in there. Yeah, crazy days, but we're doing the best we can do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're going to go back and we're going to dig into your entrepreneurial journey. But first, just to give our listeners some context, some overview, can you tell us a little bit about what is your current business? Where are you located? Mm -hmm. Any metrics you might be comfortable sharing? things like uh, how many moves you've done this year, your revenue, trucks, number of employees, just basically just an overview of your business as it stands today. Okay. Well, the name of the company is Breezy Moving. That's the outward facing name of our company. We actually are structured with several different LLCs uh, for tax purposes and due to memberships and how we plan to expand. We started this company in 2017, about three years ago, actually under a different name with a different partner that is no longer a part of this. Grew it into Springfield to where it was a viable business. Uh, wanted to expand. Uh, the logistics and the nature of the geography in Springfield don't really allow for expansion without having to move anyway. So we kind of looked around the map. My dad, who is involved in the company, which we can get into in a little bit on some level, is uh, decided he wanted to semi-retire to Florida because it's warm and lots of golfing year-round. And we realized that the demographics in Sarasota County, Florida, were really beneficial for us. Uh, A lot of retirees who are incapable of physically moving themselves, as well as having disposable income to pay for movers. So it was a really efficient place for us to to, uh, bring our company. Uh, We we brought it here about 20 months ago. And, uh, you know, we've done, just, just off the top of my head, we actually were equal, virtually equal in both Springfield and here. Very different markets, but we did roughly 300 moves in both places over the course of our first full year in business in both companies last year. Uh, This year, we will more than likely, I mean, our projections are showing us to be probably half again bigger than we were last year. Uh, So there's some natural growth that goes along with it, as well as uh, in Florida in particular, a lot of territorial growth. It's a lot easier to expand from uh, Venice, which is a fairly small town in Sarasota County, to Uh, you know, up to Sarasota itself, Bradenton, Northport. Uh, There's a lot of population here that allow us to grow. So we we fully expect Florida to surpass Springfield significantly within this year and next year. Uh, But that's kind of where we, that's where we started. 
Uh, very simple. We're a local moving company. We don't do out of state moves. We do mostly locals. There's a big uh, vacuum for that type of business. Most other moving companies do uh, out of state stuff and kind of would rather do that business because it's bigger money. For us, we'd rather get three or four small moves in a day and and go that direction. It's a lot less liability and the uh, trust of our employees is lower whenever it's simply day jobs. Excellent. Thank you for painting that picture. That's great. And I want to dig into a lot of different aspects of the things that you talked about already. A lot of strategic decisions. It sounds like every step of the way in a short amount of time. Let's talk about a little bit more before we do that. What's your backstory? What were you doing before Breezy Moving that ultimately led you to say, hey, there's a need for this and this is what I'm going to do? Well, I was... I, I, I didn't go to college. I started my family early enough that I had to go to work. I, you know, I come from a family that basically nobody had, has even still other than my sister gone to college. Um, so we were in the car business or I was, my dad and I were, and uh, a lot of sales. I, you know, I was in, I, I was a salesman for a short period of time, went into management. We did some wholesale stuff on the side. Um, what we realized in that business is that you make a lot of money for owners and, you know, you can't blame them for keeping that themselves, but there's a lot of transition. You go from one dealership to another. There's a lot of turnover, even in the management levels in those companies. And no matter what you do for them, you know, the month always starts over on the first and you're back to zero. And, uh, you know, there's a level in which you just don't have a lot of freedom that way. So the car business led to that. When I decided I didn't want to be in the car business any longer, we I, I, I sold advertising for a little bit. I was really interested in marketing, uh, writing. Uh, I wrote some commercials that were on the air in Springfield, not a lot. And I only did it for a little bit of time. But, I, you know, there were some problems I had fundamentally with advertising and how much it costs businesses to advertise, that sort of thing. And then I got into taxes. We we still in our group of companies have a tax business uh, called Tax Break in Springfield that brought in a couple of people to our two. In fact, one is my current partner and one is uh, or one of my current partners. And one was the original partner that we had. Uh, they started we started just analyzing the numbers and the profit numbers that you can get from a moving company. Uh, virtually all the costs are cost of goods. So they don't actually you don't have to spend it until you actually bring money in. So it was a business that we could start up with a fairly small amount of startup capital, which is rare. And then because I dealt with people in the car business for all that time, just the talking to people, the the dealing with uh, customers and, and it, you know, just the service that you can provide because uh, car business has a bad reputation, just like moving does. And so if you can overcome that with people, then you then you capture them for a long period of time and, you, you know, and you can continue to sell them and their family cars and those types of things. Moving is very similar. Whenever you do a good job, in our case, for realtors especially, uh, they continue to refer you to more and more clients. So uh, that that's my background was mostly sales and dealing with people on a regular basis. Um, I had not been in trucking, which is why uh, my partner in Springfield, Jeff Allen, who had been in the moving business for a long time, was uh, very integral in us uh, understanding some of the you know, the hows and what's and all that sort of thing to do with uh, moving trucks and dollies and all that kind of stuff. Some of the nuts and bolts of it. And my partner here had also done some moving prior to being involved and had been in and out of people's houses with a consignment furniture business. So uh, we had a lot of hands-on experience whenever it comes to that. I'd kind of taken the lead on the marketing and sales side. And those guys have really been more the operational and dealing with customers on a regular basis side. And so that's really where our, you know, our group of guys have come from. I think you have some really good pro tips in there. I think it's really very much worth pointing out that you realize pretty quickly that this was a business that you had a friend who could potentially be a partner who did mm. have some knowledge about the industry and you could combine that with your strengths, right? So I think that is one really solid tip, taking something that you have at least a little bit of knowledge in so you can figure out logistics sure. and operations. And secondly, I think it's worth noting that you realize really quickly, there was a small amount of capital necessary for this startup, right? You didn't need to make a huge investment right off the bat. And I think that's one thing that really that really kind of uh, scares potential entrepreneurs. Like, where am I going to get this money? Where am I going to get this expertise? And it sounds like you were able to overcome that by partnering up with somebody who had part of that and then realizing this was a business where you didn't need those things. So this was 2017, you said mm -hmm. that you partnered up with Jeff to start the yes, company? that's correct. Well, uh, Jeff actually came on at, at the end of 2017, the other partner who who I'm going to leave his name out of it. We didn't, it wasn't 
the best of times to the way we ended there, but he wanted to do something different. We just moved in different directions, but Jeff came on at the end of 2017 and, and that's when Breezy was born. Excellent. And how did you fund that company from the beginning? Did you, was it, I know it wasn't a ton of startup capital, but I would assume, you know, it's a very minimum for a, for a moving company. You probably need a truck. You probably yeah. need some pads, you know, the, the basic type of stuff. So even though there's not a lot of capital, where did the capital come from? So uh, I talked about my dad and his business partner, actually, who owned the tax business and a couple of car businesses in Springfield, wholesale car businesses. They had a lot of working capital that was left over from the profits from their car business. And they were looking for a place to invest. And whenever we saw the numbers and how, you know, on the PL statements, uh, how the moving company was so much of it was cost of goods and the expenses were our gosh, for that matter, most of the time, less than 10% your fixed expenses in this business. Um, they went ahead and bought a couple of trucks. We had a real advantage at the time to be in U-Haul who now sells their, who doesn't sell their trucks, the bigger trucks, they're doing something else with them at the time. We could go buy repurposed U-Hauls and then put our logo and things on the side of them. They don't do that anymore. So that's kind of put a monkey wrench on where we find trucks and just made it harder, but that's okay. At the time we went out and bought, I think our initial purchase was two. We may have bought three. I can't remember, but two of them in uh, one city and then one in uh, Springfield where I started our, you know, what became Breezy Moving. And we could buy them inexpensively. But my dad and his business partner provided uh, the insurance and the trucks, uh, basically the logistics for us to get started and the legwork of going and getting clients. Just so you know, clients are what we call the realtors that give us referrals because they give them to us all the time. That's where 70% of our business comes from at this point. And then uh, customers are the people that we're actually doing moves for. So we went out and got clients and built those relationships uh, both in Springfield and in Florida and the name and all of that is owned by us. But the trucks themselves are still owned by my dad and his partner's company. And they, uh, they want to expand greatly because you know, that for that, they get a certain percentage of our business, you know, going forward in, in perpetuity. So as long as they provide the trucks and insurance. So let's, let's talk about the fact that, that your business is kind of broken down into the realtor business. So, so real estate mm-hmm. agents that are bringing you business, presumably they have buyers and sellers who need to move when, when they buy and sell their properties. And then you have more uh, clients that are not coming from, from realtors. Is that something that's typical in this business or is that something that, that you've kind of done that's kind of differentiated yourself from the competitors? Well, it seems so logical to us in the very beginning when we first started the business, like, well, who knows, how do we get business? Well, you know, you could do radio advertising, but then again, how many people are at any given time moving? So how inefficient is that? I mean, newspapers were dead. You could do some online advertising through Facebook, but even then you're relatively inefficient. The, what we have found though is the best way of us getting business is a realtor referral. We very When a realtor who has been working side by side with a person who's moving very long recommends us, all we have to do is not mess it up oftentimes where we walk in and we give an honest, you know, uh, estimate we give, we do the best service we possibly can. When things do go wrong, we take care of them to the satisfaction of the customer, which allows us to those realtors to give us more of that business. You know, it's funny. It seems so logical and obvious to us. I don't really know how many people are going out about it. I know whenever I go to marketing groups, I don't see a lot of other moving companies out there. And I think But the major difference between them and us is background. I come from a sales background. I come from a relationship building background, uh, dealing with customers and people. And I think most moving companies come from a trucking background or a transportation background. So they're, you know, while logistically they can do things, I mean, they don't have the same relationship building as we do. So while I hate to give them any secrets, it's not, again, it's, it's so obvious that it's not as if I'm giving away a secret sauce there. But it, it really does have to do with the relationships we build with realtors. And incidentally, realtors like to move, I think, more than regular people. I say, you know, regular people. But they're often showing houses and looking at houses, and they get into house buying fever and transfer all the time. So what's really interesting is when we start new places, we actually move a lot of realtors before we get to the general public, which is even better. Because once you've moved a realtor themselves, you know, who, of course, if we do a good job for them, then they're going to be very comfortable referring us to other people. So we love doing that. Realtors will even, we'll go over and above for, we do that for all of our customers. I don't want to make it sound like we give special treatment, but we kind of do. We'll do anything we can to give someone who's going to give us extra business, you know, as much attention as possible. 
Certainly, because they're going to be they're going to be your marketers, right? right. You're 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 investing that time and effort and energy to take great care of them up front, and then next thing you know, you've got a whole crew of people who are out marching, breezy moving, breezy moving. That's who you've got to use. So that's the plan. Absolutely, the right choice. So I want to step back for just a quick second. You mentioned that in the beginning, and um, that your and it sounds like they still do. Your dad's company owns your trucks. They did own, and they still own your trucks. So. How involved is your dad in the day-to-day business? I'm really, I'm, I'm asking because I think that's another interesting point that's worth exploring. It's, at, at least at some level, this is truly a family business. So I would love to talk more about the dynamics of how that works. Well, I think all of the people that are involved in the company, uh, Jeff has a wife and kids and his boys are not quite old enough to work in the company. Uh, Jordan and his wife are, I mean, whenever we talk about these things, um, it's not just Jeff, Jordan, and I, and my dad and Rocky involved. It is, you know, it's, it's the family members involved. My dad's wife is a real estate agent. So she has been an invaluable marketer. Um, in fact, she works at a Coldwell banker office here in Venice where, uh, we've done, we've gotten more business from that office, I think than any other place. And my current girlfriend also works in that same office. So there's been a lot of, you know, we, there's a lot of personal stuff that gets involved whenever we're dealing with this personally. Dad and Rocky, his business partner are involved in the sense that Rocky is a CPA. Well, he's not a CPA. He's a, he has a master's degree in accounting and does all of our taxes and accounting work. So that's part of it that's handled for us through the same agreement that we have. So in that regard, they're doing, he's very involved. They're really more involved on the bigger picture. On a day-to-day basis, they rarely know what moves are happening or what customers we're dealing with. They don't concern themselves with the quality of work that we're doing. That's kind of left up to us. But in the big picture planning as to where we want to go, I I have no real interest in running for a long time, at least a local moving company. My goal was at the beginning, I found out how many uh, two men in a truck locations there were. And as a, because that's the biggest name in local moving, I'm not giving that away. They have a great name. It's just like Kleenex, two men in a truck. For us, when I found out they had more than 150 locations, I thought, okay, well, that's a good goal. Uh, let's see if we can get to that point. Whether we get there or not, I don't know. So in the involvement of planning on how we're going to expand the company and how we're going to, uh, where we're going to go as a big picture, they are very involved. Uh, on the day-to-day basis of what we do on a regular basis, they don't. I mean, we call them and brag if we get a good deal or something like that. But outside of that, they they really don't have anything to do with the day-to-day moving. They're more investment and expansion minded. Okay. Let's let's talk a little bit about marketing. So you talked about the fact that you rely on real estate agents to market and but you also have other customers that aren't real that aren't coming through the real estate agents and mm-hmm. and the real estate transactions. So when you first got in you had to find that first client. You had to find that first customer um, That for the first 10 customers, the first 100 customers. What was your strategy then? And how has that changed since uh, since 2017 when you started? How's that changed over the last couple of years? Well, it evolves because once, I mean, the, the goal is to have every realtor know who we are. Our first few moves on both sides were actually either realtor referrals or realtors themselves. So in that regard, you know, it really hasn't changed much at all. I remember when we didn't have many moves happening, we would both in Springfield and here, walk around uh, downtown Venice or in Springfield and just walk in and just say, hi, we exist. And hopefully someone there needed us at that point in time because we didn't have any mental footprint with any of them. So it was really more a matter of what they needed right now. Now, I think the best things are happening, whereas um, when a realtor will send an email out, this has happened a couple of times, where they'll send an email out to the realtors in their office because they don't know we exist. I mean, it's it's difficult to get into some of them because there's a lot of gatekeepers, a lot of people sitting at the front desk that won't let us in. But when they send out an email and they ask everyone in their office if they know a good mover, the best referral is from us, from a realtor to another realtor, actually, because then that's more people that know that we exist and that we do good work. So our we've changed a little bit in the sense that we are still involved in trying to go get that many, but it actually starts multiplying itself. Once you get involved with some realtors, then realtors kind of tend to talk to each other about us. Um, so we're not going in and doing as many cold calls as we did in the very beginning, but but our focus is still trying to make sure realtors know that we exist. One of the things that I do is I go on Facebook because unfortunately for us, we can't do a lot of referring back to a realtor. Once we're involved, you know, it's all over with. What we can do is, you know, I'll try and share their posts online. Like if they have a listing, I'll try and 
put that online because I'm friends on Facebook with, I don't know, a thousand realtors probably at this point. I just haphazard. I'm, I break Facebook's rules by just friending people I don't know as long as they're realtors. So, <laughs> but we, we get on and we share their posts and, you know, just show that we do care about their business. We hope that they're doing well. And then whenever we do go and they've been, you know, we've been referred, we try to give them the added value of saying, you know, of, of being the hero that referred a company that did a good job for someone. Um, that's so really at this point, we're on to kind of what I would call a phase two of it, which is just making sure that we're taking care of the customers uh, for the real estate agents. So then they're happy to give us more and more referrals. Awesome. So it sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like back in the early days, you were literally your cold calling, yeah. you're walking into brokerages, getting past the gatekeepers, flashing a smile, doing whatever you need to do to just get them to listen and know that you're here. And fast forward these, you know, these few years, and it sounds like it's evolved, but it sounds like with having all this referral based business, you're literally just friending realtors online and and then you're getting business that way. So is it fair to say that you have not spent a whole lot of money on marketing? Has there been, have you had, have you had a large marketing budget that I'm not hearing about? Or is this just like literally hitting the pavement and doing what you need to do to get business? Yes. It's all relationship based. I mean, I, I think that there's probably a way to do this, but it's going to, I don't know that spending money on advertising for our business would be very efficient. I think you can spend a lot of money on it. And I do think that there, you know, look, you can spend a lot of money and you can get a lot of business, but I think that there's a law of diminishing returns when it comes to that. We've spent some money, very, very small amounts, specifically targeting certain people on Facebook in particular. Uh, But as far as any kind of multimedia advertising, every time we've even tried magazine ads or any of the uh, ads that go into any of these local places, it's just, they're just not, we just don't see a lot of results from it, but where we, it's the pounding the pavement and the elbow grease of it all of just getting out and, you know, pressing flesh is what my dad talks about. And it's kind of an old way of doing things. The world has kind of gone away from personal interactions and we have zigged where everybody else has zagged, I think. And we just want to do the personal interactions uh, up to and including whenever we go to, we try to do, I'd say 97% or more of our customers have met us in an in-home estimate prior to the move. So the only times we don't or whenever it's something that doesn't make sense, like going to a storage unit, it's silly for us to go look at a storage unit. But when people are moving from home to home, we go into everybody's house. It's a personal touch uh, that I think sets us above. I mean, it is with the virus that's happening now, we've actually made the decision to not do this in people's homes. But under most circumstances, it is a rare day for us not to go to the people's homes, have them meet us, have them feel comfortable with us, and for us to then give them an estimate. I don't know what our closing percentage is. I don't, I probably should track that better, but we don't miss a lot of business. When we go to people's homes, we, I mean, it is a shock to us and we kind of get angry and figure out what did we do wrong about how we didn't get a job, but it is, it's a rare thing for us not to, but and it's all the same thing with the, with the realtors. It's all personal touch. Very cool. And it sounds like one recurring theme of all these different things that you're talking about is really just all this simple human connection, right? There's no, your secret sauce, it sounds like, is truly just talking to people and being kind and providing good and personal service, right? I mean, it's really when it's all boiled down to it at the end of the day, that's what's keeping you successful. Sounds like somebody else that I know. (laughs) Who could that be? This is Carol too. She she yells at me when I I follow up with a potential client with an email or if I send a text or if I leave a voicemail, she's like, don't leave a voicemail. Call them five times until they answer and wait for them to call you back and talk to them in person. And, and, And you guys, you're both, you're absolutely correct. And I think this is what a lot of people especially uh, the younger generation who's gotten so accustomed to moving away from phone calls and personal interactions. And and I'm not in that younger generation, but I've done it too, where it's just easier to text. It's easier to send an email. And while it's easier, it's not as effective. Well, I think in some businesses that there's, there's some, you know, in the real estate business, the internet and all of this electronic stuff is actually, while it, you've gone away from personal service in some level, um, because of the ability to show, you know, virtual tours and pictures and those types of things where you didn't have, them, you had to actually go lay eyes on them in the past. Our business, one of the reasons that drew me because I didn't want to be involved in something that was going to die in five years. You know, uh, there are certain things that are just being either outsourced or turned digital or become very non-personal just for the nature of uh, convenience until they invent. I mean, Jordan hates when I say this. So if he listens to this, he's going to be embarrassed. 
But until they invent teleportation machines, we're not going to be able to be outsourced. I mean, at the end of the day, and even then, someone's going to have to carry the couch through the teleportation machine whenever that happens in the near future or, or in the far future. So I, I think that for us, I, this is a business that really lends itself to personal touch because there's no way of taking people's items from a physical brick and mortar location to another physical brick and mortar location without having a personal touch. So lean into it all the way, not only do it on the, on the logistical side on it, but on the service side of it too. So it really made sense to me that way. Love it. Okay. So a question I often get asked, especially people who are getting ready to start a service business. It's easier in a product business, I imagine, but in a service business, uh, one of the big decisions that needs to be made up front, and if you get it wrong, you can impact your business for a long period of time, potentially. How do you price your services? How, when you started, did you decide this is what we're going to charge for our moves? Um, well, first of all, we tried to do a little bit of market research, either that by, you know, maybe maybe it's espionage. I don't know. We just call people and pretend to be a customer and find out what they were charging. I also spent a lot of time. We've, we've, we've tinkered with all kinds of different ways of doing this. We try to do guaranteed pricing that got a little wonky, uh, meaning that, you know, we'd give them a price up front and then, you know, but, but there was a lot of different issues with that. Uh, customers sometimes would, would sell things and take things away and it just became very weird. We just tried to find a way to be in competitive in the marketplace. It is absolutely not my goal, and this wasn't in the car business, and it will never be in any business I'm involved in, uh, to be the cheapest. That was never a concern of ours. I don't try to undercut our competition. I, I feel like when I go into someone's home, or Jordan does, and, my, and we've picked up my, oh, I've picked my partners, and they've picked me, I think, very carefully in the sense that we're going to provide a value to someone that justifies our cost. Um, obviously, uh, we charge more in, in Florida than we do in Missouri. Uh, there's more expenses. We have to pay our employees more here. We have to, the gas prices are considerably higher here than they are in Missouri. But right now it's like 70 cents. I was just there last week. So it's a huge amount of difference in price and gas. So some of our expenses are different, but I think we'll have some competition that'll give super low numbers, but then they'll charge. We don't piecemeal people either. We want to make it as simple and easy to think about as possible. So we, we, we are very time-based. Um, a lot of moving is weight-based and that's probably important for long distance move. It's not really important for local moving. But, you know, if we start at nine o'clock and we end at five o'clock, anybody with a calculator can do the math of our hourly rate times the, the amount of time. We don't charge extra for TVs. We don't charge extra for safes. We do charge a little bit extra for pianos because it requires a different way of moving. But in most cases, it's, it's completely hourly based. That's it. And very simple to figure out. So on top of us doing some market research and finding out what hourly rate other people were charging, we also just tried to see what annoyed customers. And the most annoying thing to them is not knowing that they're going to be charged $2,500 or believing they're going to be charged a smaller amount and having a bait and switch at the end. We don't generally have that problem because it's, again, really, really simple to do what we do as long as our guys are working hard. And that's what I tell all of our customers. If, if at any point in time you don't feel like my guys are there doing their job the right way, as quickly as they can safely do it, then you call me and I'll crack the whip and I'll adjust the price. That's um, awesome. Outside of that, you know, it's, it's really simple. And most of our customers are very understanding. Whenever we give them an estimate, we say it takes how long it takes, but this is our best guess to how long it will take. And there's so many factors that go into it that we don't have control over, like how ready they are and all that. Awesome. Can you give us an idea of either in your business or the moving business in general? Because I know there's probably some industry-wide standards, what the margins look like, either gross margins or operating margins, just to give an idea. Yes, it's real simple. Basically, our cost of goods, which are our guys, our trucks, materials that we're using, not counting tools or the trucks themselves, is roughly a third of our business. Our expenses are, generally speaking, less than 10, our fixed expenses, generally less than 10%. We do pay for the taxes and, or the insurance and all of that. And that, again, gets about 25%. So the ownership management level is actually left. This is why we were so excited about this business with about a third or more, depending on how we manage it, of the money that's left over. So in uh, that, those numbers have actually played out very consistently over all three of the years we've been involved in this in the Springfield market, which is a very different market than the Florida market. The numbers you know, have all, we've been able to manage it to where it works out to be the same either direction. The numbers were intoxicating, honestly. There's very few things that have this little of a startup cost and this little of a uh, expense cost monthly that leaves that much money left over. There are challenges, obviously, but 
that one was, uh, it made this business a no brainer. It's the only reason I ever thought about moving. I was never involved in it before. And those numbers made it very enticing for us to, to be involved in it. Yeah. And I imagine like, uh, you don't see a whole lot of businesses that have 30 to 35% operating margins. And when you do, typically it's the types of businesses that aren't low barrier to entry. They're the types of businesses that you have to have some real competitive advantage. You have to have some real expertise or skill that you've spent decades building up because those are just huge margins. And you're generating, you're in a business where where it, it's relatively low barrier to entry. Like you said, a, a couple movers, insurance, and a truck. And in theory, you can be in business. But I guess that's why you have so much competition and why building relationships and really standing out is so important. Yeah, I, that is part of it. And the other thing is our margins are, I think, better than some places because the first thing you do when you go into business, it's almost business 101, is to have a marketing budget. Well, we don't have that. Our marketing budget is our time. And I think a lot of companies and a lot of people want to shortcut that. And I don't think they can because, again, if you if you invest $5,000 into advertising in, in our business, to make that make sense, you have to get $100,000 or more back in sales. And I don't really think that that's a feasible thing from the very beginning. It's it. It's never been efficiently uh, feasible to us, and you know that word of mouth is stronger and better and more efficient anyway. It does, I think, take a little bit longer in the startup section of it. But after having done this in two different places, I've learned a few shortcuts with that too. That when we open another location, and I'm really interested in doing this to where I'm not physically involved in it every day because I've been involved in the opening of these two and continue to be management in on some level or my partners. And I'm really interested in finding a person that's willing to open one of these in another location for us to start out and use these principles and ideas and shortcuts that we have in yet another market. Because I, I think that those margins are a lot lower for other people because they spend so much money in advertising. Cool. Let's talk a little bit more about that expansion, right? We're talking about these these different systems and processes in tools, in ways of treating employees and all that, that it sounds like that you got that all kind of set up in the Springfield, Missouri office. And then you opened your second location here in Sarasota, uh, here in Venice, Sarasota, this whole county. And you're talking about there are some fundamental differences between the two locations. I'm curious, although there are some um, fundamental differences. Have you found that the original processes, systems, and so on and so forth that you established in your first location translated really well into this location, or was it a was it a hard transition, or were you able to kind of like plug and play what you already did, or did you have to tweak exponentially? Well, I'll answer both sides of that. First of all, the harder part was Venice because uh, we were. Brand new. I knew no one. Jordan had lived here for a couple of years, but basically didn't have any roots. In Springfield, I was able to draw off of 37 years of knowing people and being uh, and having family members and things that could plug us into certain real estate offices and get us referrals that way. So in that regard, Springfield was easier. Um, in another way, because people are so entrenched in the way they do things in a place where that isn't as transient as Florida... Uh, you know, that uh, wedging your way into the business and, and creating a footprint in people's minds was a little bit more difficult in a place where things don't change as often. In Florida, it, you know, look, it's everywhere you look, especially in Venice, but also in Sarasota. I mean, the average age in Venice is 69 years old. The average age in Sarasota is 45 years old. And whenever you're dealing with an older clientele, they're really, I mean, they can't pick up their couch and move it out the door. So the marketing is tweaked from location to location. And if you have someone that's, let's say, in Charleston, South Carolina, where we don't have a location, but where I think would be a good one, who has some roots there, we could take advantage of both sides. Uh, that's a growing city with with a not an older population, but but certainly has some, you know, it's 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 kind of a mix between the two locations that we're talking about here. And it's a perfect place because it's the right size that we would want. But if someone had some roots there and knew some people you know, the differences in the locations are actually minimal. Uh, at the end of the day, picking up a couch and moving it out a door is the same in, I would assume, Turkmenistan as it is in Moscow, as it is in Berlin, as it is here. There are some rules and laws. Each state has different, but the logistical work itself is the same no matter where you go. The marketing, when it all comes down to just personal service, is kind of the same. It's just a matter of how you get the door open. That can vary from place to place. But as far as the rest of it, it's it's fairly similar. So what are your thoughts on expanding? So I know there are, we, we've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs on this show and 
People have done everything from licensing their their name and and their systems to franchising to going the corporate owned route where they just kind of keep control of everything. What are your thoughts? How how are you thinking of expanding? What's the plan there, or do you even have a plan yet? Yeah, we have a we have a little bit of a plan, and we're really flexible. You know, if if we were contacted by someone who wanted to start a, lo- a breezy moving in Kansas or in Colorado or in New York or wherever. Uh, we would probably go the franchise route, which we have some numbers and some plans that would help us do that. Now, we would have to finalize those plans before we were fully ready to do that, but that could be done fairly quickly. If we had someone that wanted to open a location, say, in Fort Myers, Florida, or uh, Branson, Missouri, that's close to Springfield, and they had these ideas, it's possible for us to be able to do a uh, management where we're still in charge, but they're they are a employee with the ability to become a part owner of those locations. So our expansion at this point in time, because we're so young and flexible as a company uh, can go many different ways. So, you know, I guess if anyone out there was interested in that, they should definitely contact me because we, you know, we will look into all kinds of ways of, of taking breezy moving into all these other locations and, and doing what we can there. So the, the answer to your question is we do have a plan and an idea, but we really have a two-pronged plan depending on exactly the situation. Excellent. Excellent. And I love the fact that you're able to remain flexible through all of this, right? Is that you're realizing there are different opportunities that will come. You are realizing that there are processes and systems in place that will play well into different areas. It sounds like, which I think is another great pro tip, that you and your partners have already established criteria to evaluate the types of locations in which this service would work well, right? So I think that's something that's really actionable for for other entrepreneurs who are considering expanding. It's not just, you know, throw some stuff at a map and wherever anyone wants to put another location of your business. No, that's not necessarily the way to do it. It sounds like you have to be really thoughtful and mindful about evaluating the criteria of the different demographics. Is that about right? Yeah. The one benefit that Florida has that Missouri doesn't have is there is a there's a true season in Missouri. So you're going to have, you know, December, January, February that are really cold and potentially icy and people just aren't outside looking at houses. And so therefore you get less people moving. Whereas in Florida, that's almost our better times, weather 24, you know, so having having an understanding that when you're in a cold weather climate, you're going to have boom months and then you're going to have really thin months. Uh, makes a difference. So obviously anything in the South is, is great for us um, as far and with any moving company. Again, some of this is just really logical stuff that I'm not sure people think about. The other aspect of it is without being negative about anything again, is the, the, the economy of each individual location. I mean, there are places where using Sarasota County as an example, the efficiency level of us being in Venice, where there is a fairly decent size amount of money with the retirees and their age is higher is a more efficient place than, say, Northport or Port Charlotte, where a lot of the service workers that work in Sarasota and Venice uh, live. They're more likely to rent a U-Haul and have their friends over and pay for pizza and do it themselves. So it's not to say that we can't get business there. It's just that that the older, more financially stable places are better. So when we look at a city uh, for potential to move to, that is a huge factor on us. Going to you know certain southern cities are unfortunately known for their poverty, probably not the best place for us to start. Uh, But, you know, so that's, that's a big factor. All of it's a factor. Got it. Right. And you've taken all those factors into consideration. I would assume also, Ryan, just within the moving industry, there's got to be some challenges somewhere, right? It's not all rainbow sunshine and unicorns, right? So I would love to hear what are some of the biggest challenges that you've experienced along the way throughout the journey and how have you overcome them? Can I ask one specific challenge? Because I have a feeling you and I faced, I have a service-based business in an industry. It's not moving, but it's construction-related, low barrier to entry. And I'm guessing one of your challenges I'd love for you to address, I'm sorry to interrupt, um, is hiring employees. Because I know lots of us have that issue in general, but I imagine in your business, you probably have a whole lot of issues around that. So how do you, how do you approach that? And, and is that a challenge for you? Well, it's to my way of thinking, look, everything's a challenge. I mean, uh, the, the marketing and everything else. So I, I don't want to say that that's easier as someone could just come in and do it. But it's those are simple problems. And if you're willing to put in the effort, you're going to make those things happen. The only challenge, in my opinion, that, you know, it's the question that we, 
let me just go back a little bit and say this. We have met a lot of people that have been in the moving business over the last three years. Invariably, all of them have grown their business to four or five, six trucks in their local area and not expanded outside of that because they get sick and tired of the hassles that come with manning in uh, their the, the jobs, uh, sending people in that you can trust to not completely be careless, sending people in that aren't going to offend your customers with their language or the, you know, their, uh, their hygiene. Unfortunately, um, there's also the concern of, of theft and those types of things, because, you know, at the end of the day, we're responsible for whatever happens in those people's houses, whether we're there or not. You know, that is the key to the whole thing. And I think that up to this point, we've had two major advantages uh, that maybe a couple other places have. One, we are all willing to be on the truck. Uh, Jeff Allen in Springfield works on the truck often. He is, uh, he's been in the moving business for a long time. He has no desire to work on the truck because it's not fun work whenever it's hot or cold or for that matter, when it's nice out to pick up people's furniture and move it around. Jordan and I, when someone doesn't come into work, we have never called a job and not been able to go. We've been maybe once or twice we've been late, but very, very rarely. In fact, we make a point of being 15 minutes early actually to every job. But every once in a while, we'll have to call someone and say, well, we had a guy call in sick and we're going to get to you, but it's going to take us a second. And we've done it and we've made that work. Uh, the challenge will always be the people. I think that how you deal with those people is you have to, you know, if you do 15 interviews in a day, which we've done 10 to 15 in a day before, we may find one or two that we're willing to give a shot. And of that one or two, statistically, none of them work out. <laughs> But we are able to, when we go with new people, Jordan or myself have always gone with the new people on the first jobs or two. So that's how we weed that out. Jeff is the same way in Springfield. And then beyond that, when we do get a person, we try our best to keep a hold of them. We've had the fortune of my 18-year-old son uh, also being involved in this. Um, he is strapping and young and doesn't get tired the way the rest of us do and likes the money because the tips are good and the money is good. And he has done very well. We've also got a couple of other guys, one guy that worked for us for a year and then went on to work with his family, which we couldn't hold that against him. And then a couple of other guys that have just been really, just to say their names, Nate Ballou, if he hears this, has been excellent in Springfield. And then Luke Monell here that is fairly new with us, but has been great. The challenge is 100% the people. You know, at the end of the day, it's not hard to move furniture. I mean, it's, it's backbreaking work, but it's really simple. It doesn't take a rocket science. And as you say, a low barrier of entry. It's, it's unskilled labor whenever it comes to that. What we've learned is that we have to constantly be hiring, constantly be replacing the people before they leave, and making sure that Jordan and I are available when something does go wrong, or Jeff in Springfield, uh, to be able to jump on the truck and uh, take care of our customers, because that's the thing that has to be first, is our customers. Excellent. I think that's a really good point because we talk so often about how massively important it is to be as far as business owners and growing and expanding your business. The whole concept of working on your business and not in your business. Mm. You're realizing though, in one of your uh, components to being so successful is the there are components, especially when it comes to having effective employees. Working in your business truly is a part of working on your business, right? So they're a lot more interconnected. It's like, it's almost an absolute necessity to make sure that that quality and that product and that service offering that you bring to the table stays where it is. That truly is working on your business because because of the nature of having to work with the employees to drive your business forward. Um, just for fun, I'm curious, do you have any fun moving stories you're willing oh to gosh. share? Because everyone loves a good story. I actually have a, you know, I used to, I haven't done it in a long time. I have this thing called, what did I call it? It's a blog on my website that we had told several of these stories, actually. Um, yeah, we've had all kinds of crazy things where, I mean, closings that have changed. I'll tell you though, it's, this isn't so much fun, but we moved a lady's house and two days later, it burnt down, that sort of thing. We've had, without getting too vulgar, the all kinds of fun stuff. Now, we didn't have anything to do with it burning down, by the way, although we were questioned <laughs> by the fire department about it. I got several calls. Because, no way. Yeah, it was, uh, they just wanted to know what was going on. Um, and it was a problem that they had with their gas leak and a spark that had nothing to do with us. But uh, also the fun thing is when people leave all kinds of things in their drawers or under their mattresses <laughs> and you can do some thoughts on your own. You know, this is a family friendly show, I'm sure, but whatever you can think of, it's been that bad um, and sometimes really awkward, especially when they're, st it's one thing when they're not in the room, you just sort of 
put things away. But when they're in the room and you're like, you know, eye contact is made and everyone wants to crawl under a rock. Oh, that's um, so that kind of stuff can happen all the time. I mean, things happen. I mean, sometimes you just wouldn't believe anytime you're going into people's houses, it's you just never know. I mean, we went into a lady's house and she had birds that I mean, I, I, I can't believe I did this. But she, her birds, the two of them started squawking so loud that I involuntarily cursed right in front of her because I was like, what? You know, because it just was it. I mean, it rattles your ears. It's it's unbelievable. Anyway, <laughs> going into people's homes is always an adventure. And people whose houses are perfect are like, oh, I'm so sorry. Your house is a mess. You're like, gosh, I wish you could come with me for the rest of the day. Um, so, <laughs> Just to see what I've got going on next. I had one guy <laughs> that so wasn't, that was, had us there to move him to a different, that actually just right across the border into Arkansas. And this was at the very beginning of this. And we got there and he thought his house was going to be ready and it wasn't. And he was standing there barking orders at his maid and smoking a doobie and drinking whiskey at <laughs> nine 30 in the morning, telling her to hurry and pack. And we we're like, so, Oh my gosh. Super fun. I mean, oh he was really nice. Obviously he was, you know, <laughs> he was as happy as could be. <laughs> he was feeling no pain that day. It was good for him. But I mean, that kind oh, of that thing, is I, hilarious. I try to keep people's names out of it, but stories all the time. It's always weird whenever you're dealing with people's stuff in people's houses, you know, going back to a little bit of the, you know, with our expansion, the reason why I believe expansion could happen is kind of what we've talked about when we were picking the right person for that. I think the constant vigilance on keeping your employees in place, uh, keeping the right people in place. So you have to be willing to take time every week or two, probably two, maybe three, to sit and do some interviews to get more and more people. You also have to be willing to work on the truck, which is not something I was willing to do in the very beginning. And I've had to learn that. The guys that do work for you respect you a whole lot more if they know that you're willing to pull the rope the same direction as them. And as far as most of these guys are concerned, they don't believe that doing accounting or marketing is hard work. They don't believe that, you know, the actual things that grow a business actually are worth anything. All they know is that they're on the truck sweating and picking things up. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're lazy. So for me, being able to learn that part of it, which is a lesson to me, and my partners were much better at it than I was in the very beginning. Uh, they were willing to get on and do anything that was necessary. And I've had to become that way too. And when we're looking at expansion or franchising or people that are going to come on, they're going to have to be willing to do those things too. If they're not willing to hire every two or three weeks, you know, there's never going to be a point where you can get away from that. If you're not willing to go do in-home estimates with people, if you're not willing to work on the truck, if there's an emergency, or if you just simply have a customer that's really important and you know that that's going to be a one of those notches in your belt that'll help you build your business. If you're not willing to do that, moving isn't really for you. Again, there's no secret sauce. It's just elbow grease. And it's building, being willing to do all the fundamentals every day, all the time. And if you're not, do something different. And there are businesses that I think you can make work without the physical element of it. Ryan, this has been fantastic. I mean, it's it's just amazing for somebody you've kind of jumped in and you've started this business, you've grown this business. It sounds like you've got everything together. I rarely meet, or we re- rarely meet uh, 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 small business owners that kind of sound like you don't have any too, too many problems. I mean, employees are your biggest problems. So there are a lot of our listeners out there who are probably thinking, I want to start a business, maybe not a moving business or maybe a moving business, but I want to start a business. I might want to start a service business, but I'm kind of scared to kind of take that next step or that first step. What advice do you have for them that that they can kind of get to where you are, where they just jump in and, and they can kind of hit the ground running and be successful really quickly? I was in a different business than this. I was in the car business for a long time. And that's what my family, my dad had had been in that business my entire life. So what I've found is that there's really principally speaking, not, not a lot of difference between one thing or the other. Obviously, if you have a product versus a service, you're selling the service versus the product. Um, So we, you know, there's from accounting standpoint, there's a big difference from a do it yourself kind of work in the business thing. There's really not a lot of difference. The principle that you learn, whether you're selling real estate or houses or whatever else can be applied anywhere you want to go. And I think what you said there, I think is, I, I, I hope not to misinform. There are a lot of problems. There are day-to-day problems, you know, how we're logistically going to get gas. We had a flat tire on a truck the other day, but these are problems that are just simply management problems. And no matter what you business you do, you're going to have to deal with those things. So it, I don't want to make it sound as if that the only thing that we are, I, I guess what I should say is the only solvable, the only unsolvable problem um, is the employees. And it's really, to my point of view, unsolvable other than constant vigilance. Um, the rest of it, you can plan. Now, if you're going to, you know, we had a flat tire the other day, so we ordered extra tires. So now the next time we have a flat tire, we have them in stock. 
you know, you learn how to put dollies and blankets and rubber bands. These are all problems and every business is going to have its own. Uh, the one advice I would give to anybody, I don't care what you've done, whether you've sold insurance, you've been in tech, you could have been an actor, you could have done anything. People and your customers are always the same. You have to give them a value that they believe is greater than the price that they're paying if you want them to be happy with you. If you want them to be satisfied, make the value and the cost equal. But if you want them to be really, truly happy, you really want to get a good reputation, you have to provide them with a value that is higher than the cost in their mind that they're paying. And in order to do that, I believe you have to be willing to do anything and everything possible. Self-employment is awesome. There are Thursdays at two o'clock in the afternoon that I am sitting on the beach because it's awesome. And then there are Sunday nights at nine o'clock that I'm dealing with problems that, that come across. So I have a lot of freedom in my day-to-day -day life. I have a lot of say as to what goes on, but as a, as an entrepreneur, as a person that owns a business, the clock never stops. It never ends. You always have those issues. And if you're not willing to work past nine to five, then you're not going to do this well. And that's it. All the problems are, are answered with elbow grease, every single problem, and maybe a little bit of intelligence, but, but for the most part, it's just, if you're willing to work hard and do what it takes to get things done and being willing, not only to, to delegate, which I love doing, uh, but actually doing it themselves, that is that is the answer to any of those questions. And again, whether you're an employee at a car business or you want to do your own thing, it's just being willing to solve whatever problems that come up to you as soon as you can. Don't procrastinate, work hard, do everything you can to, to answer all the problems. And then you get to a point where the problems are just things that you have to deal with day to day. And the, they don't seem like problems because it's just, that's just your job. If that's not something that you can see yourself being, then I think entrepreneurship is, it's not what everybody thinks. It's not just being your own boss and doing those things. You are stuck with all kinds of problems that you didn't want, but, but you have to be willing to sacrifice in those cases in order to get the freedom that you really are looking for, which, you know, in my case I have, I, and I'm, I'm happy about that. I love that. That, that Excellent. is fantastic. Okay. Now I want to jump into the final segment of the show. We call four more, and this is where we ask you the same four questions we ask all of our guests. And that's okay. the four part. The more part is we're going to, at the very end, talk about where we can get in touch with you, find out more about you, and find out more about your business. Sound good? Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. Let's jump into question number one. I'll take this one. What was your very first or your very worst? I'll let you decide which one job and what lessons did you take from it? Okay. Uh, my very first job and kind of going with the theme was I worked for my grandpa. He owned a uh, cabinet company, cabinet and bath supplies, what it was called CBS in Nixon, Missouri, uh, still exists on some level. And I was there in their warehouse, just moving things around, doing things. Um, I've always been a big proponent of family. I, we've kind of hit on it. I mean, obviously, my dad's involved in this business. My Both of my sons, uh, my 17-year-old son and my 18-year-old son have worked with us on some level. My 18-year-old worked all the time with us. So it was, it was just eye-opening to go and have to work with uh, a lot of his employees and those people and try to learn you know, how to be the boss's kid or grandkid, which I work for my dad in the car business too. So I've, I've had a lot of experience with that. Uh, but my, but my very first job was moving things around in a warehouse and sometimes going and unloading cabinets and things at, at, uh, at a job site and those types of things. And uh, I was 15 years old. You just, you know, just to see what my grandpa had built was the most, you know, the, the longest lasting impression for me is that a business comes from nothing to something because him and his partner had built it. And that was that I, very impactful for me, I think, looking back. So it sounds like you come from a long line of entrepreneurs and you're passing that down to your sons and through the generations, which is really cool. I'm curious to know, what would you say was the defining moment when you, Ryan, realized that you had an entrepreneurial edge? Well, the day that I realized that uh, we were, I mean, it was very simply the day that we had a move that was not going right. And I had to make the decision to either let it go bad or go fix it myself. And so I went and fixed it myself and it was hard and it was three days. And that's a crazy story. In fact, one of those blogs on our website actually talks about this particular story. Um, and me realizing that no one else is going to care about it as much as I did at that time, I didn't have a partner in the same way that I do now. And I went and fixed the problem and realized that that was super rewarding. I mean, moving is not a real meaningful thing. It's not like I'm saving the the, you know, endangered species or, you know, helping old people, you know, survive longer or make them more comfortable. 
it's just moving. However, uh, to me, it was really rewarding to help my guys to get a job done and have a satisfied customer, even under a circumstance that was not at all fun. So to me, realizing that I had it in me to go go over and above what I would have done had I been just an employee at that place, uh, really set it home for me that that's what I wanted to do forever. Awesome. Love that. Okay. Question number three, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself if you were starting over so that you wouldn't make any, some of that, so you could avoid some of the mistakes that you've made? Do this earlier. I wish I would have, instead of being 35, 36 years old, whenever I kind of jumped out on my own, I wish I would have had the personal discipline and conviction to start a moving company. Cause I could have done this whenever I was 24 or five. I mean, Maybe I wasn't mature enough to handle employees that way, but I could have had a truck and done, you know, and, and started it then. I wish I'd have done it earlier. Um, if you're, if, you know, there's no good time, there's no perfect time. You know, people always talk about, you know, I'm waiting till the perfect time to have kids or to get married. Well, that doesn't ever exist. There's no such thing. Life will always be hard. Life will always give you challenges. I wish I would have given myself the freedom to not work for other people and be at the whim of somebody else much earlier in my life. That's an excellent answer. And I think a lot of us very much share that sentiment. I know Jay and I do for sure. And lots of other people do. Absolutely. Okay. Here is the fourth and one of my favorite questions. What is something that you have splurged on in your personal or work life that was totally worth it? You know, I don't, uh, I don't really have a lot of like, I mean, I'm pretty simple and stuff. I, I think you know, the biggest things I'll, I'll do is a vacation for my kids or things like that, or going on traveling. I think traveling is amazing. Um, I think going to see other experiences and things of that nature, but I mean, I'll be honest, I, we have, I really have never really splurged on much of anything. I, I, my tastes are very low key and pretty simple. I mean, I'm the, I have always said, I wish I was a billionaire so I could prove how much of a, I didn't care about that sort of thing. Uh, cause that's what everybody thinks. Right. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, what I have a 900 square foot apartment that I live in and there are at, from where I'm sitting, at least six screens and there's like three or four more in the other room. So I've got televisions and phones and all kinds of stuff. Like I love technology and connectivity and all that kind of thing. So I guess that would be the closest thing to saying I splurged on it, you know, but I, but I have to say, I don't really, I, I don't really have that many of those types of things. I, I hope to spend a lot of money and time traveling and visiting everywhere in the whole world. I just, that's what I would love to do. That's my dream is to build this business to the point where I can, a lot of my job even now can be done uh, through the phone or on a computer or, you know, via Facebook or things of that nature. I don't actually have to be in, and as this company grows to more and more locations, that'll be even more and more uh, obvious where my physical presence is less necessary. So that's, I'm actually saving my split. What I had a friend that used to say things uh, when you'd ask him if he had $10, he said, no, all my money is tied up in future earnings. And I think all my splurges are tied up in future earnings too. I love that. I, I'm going to, I may have to steal that. I'll, I'll promise. I promise I'll give you credit. <laughs> nope. Give Larry Bates the credit. That Larry guy. Bates. I'll give Larry, Larry Bates, Bates credit for that. That's Thank right. you. It's all about I love Larry. that. I love that. Awesome. Okay, Ryan, we're going to get to the more part of the four more. And this is where you can tell us Anything else we need to know about Breezy Moving, about you, where we can connect with you, where we can find you, either on social media or your website? Well, you can contact me directly. I use Facebook a lot, mostly for work purposes. Uh, Ryan Welch, I live in Venice, Florida. Um, our Both of our companies, uh, we have one in Springfield, Missouri, and I guess I can give a phone number for it, uh, 417-429-4499. And then uh, in Florida, which would be 941 786 0936. You know, we have a website, it's breezymoving.com uh, that you can go look at. And, uh, you know, that, that's the best way to get a hold of us that way. What I'll say specifically is we are always looking for the right people. What, Jeff Allen in Springfield, he went to the same high school I did. We knew each other in passing when we were younger, but he just walked into our office and said, I'd like to start a moving company by himself. This was it's completely random. And we decided that through some conversations and talking that we were going to join forces, as it were. And in Florida, when my dad moved here, Jordan Philbrandt delivered some furniture from a consignment company here to my dad's house. And dad just loved the way he talked to him. So he introduced Jordan and I, and both of them, on top of being business partners of mine, have become dear friends. And I think that that's not necessary whenever you're talking about being partners, but I think it's helpful if you can, you know, cause there's no, the personal animosities are, are not there. We, we both, we all care about each other to the degree of, of growing everything. 
but that's what we're looking for. We're looking for people who are willing to get on the back of the truck, who are willing to deal with frustrating mover employees that are willing to walk into people's homes and make them feel secure and good. And if they're willing to do those things, then I am capable and willing and really excited about showing them how to build a breezy moving in their neck of the woods, wherever that may be. Awesome. Ryan, thank you so much. We really appreciate this. All the stuff you mentioned will be in the show notes. So go check out our show notes for more information. And Ryan, thank you again. We really appreciate this. This was awesome. And it's been uh, a lot of fun. And you stay safe out there and we will talk to you very soon. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you, Ryan. See you soon. Love that episode. So much to think about. I loved Ryan's point about in a typical business, you have to spend $5,000 to make $100,000 in extra revenue if you really want that marketing money to pay off. And so for a lot of us, just throwing money at marketing and throwing money at advertising isn't going to be the best way to expand our revenue, to expand sales, to build businesses. And so I just, I really appreciate Ryan coming on. And I love the fact that he was willing to open up about his financials and all the numbers in his business so that as as entrepreneurs, as, as some of us as new business owners, um, we really understand and how the numbers break down for a business like this. Yeah, it was super. And and that transparency, I think, is another one of those things that's just so awesome about Ryan and his business, right? He talked all about how he's just a regular guy, just like you and me. And he's just like all of you listeners. He was just smart about it. He managed to grow a business that's really a family business. He still works with his dad. He works with his son. I mean, it's three generations. He was just somebody who didn't want to work for somebody else. It's just a great reminder that we can get out there. And just, so just just be inspired by everything that he had to say. And just, I, I just can't say enough good things about the story. He's expanded it to two locations. He's made it a family business and he's going to keep on growing. So I just loved everything about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Great episode and love Ryan. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in again this week. I hope everybody is doing well. Still saying stay still staying safe and healthy. And we look forward to hearing from you or seeing you or whatever it is that you do on podcasts again next week. So thanks again for tuning in. She's Carol. I'm Jay. Now go build some awesome, long-lasting, sustainable relationships today. Have an awesome week, everybody. Take good care of yourself. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. 